This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Total Saints podcast, all fully refreshed and ready for the run-in after the international break. I'm Martin Stark and I'm joined by our panel of Saints experts to discuss the last seven days supporting Southampton Football Club. Now, this episode of TSP is streaming live on our Facebook page and you'll also be able to watch along on our YouTube channel. If you're watching on either of those platforms, you can get involved in the conversation using the comments section. And we're also broadcasting live on Twitter. This week on the podcast, reaction to the draw away at Leeds and it's a return to St Mary's next in the league. Chelsea, the visitors, so we'll preview that game. Uh, let me introduce you first to our TSP guests this week. Glenn Delacour is the writer of the weekly Saints blog, League One Minus Ten. Are you ready for the run-in and the final few games, Glenn? Did you have a good international break? Absolutely, yeah, mad for it. Yeah, looking forward to the uh, looking forward to the season sort of uh, winding to a close and and being over. It's an interesting one because we we are in that kind of no man's land where we're we're clearly not pushing for Europe and we're not going to get relegated either. So it's uh, yeah, it's just a case of uh, you know counting the games down and um, and see where we finish up really and see seeing if there's any sort of pointers towards next season. You know, just on that on that note, briefly, I, I thought it was interesting yesterday that. When you looked at the bench, there was a few players missing and a few players who were on there. And whether that tells us anything, looking forward to the goalkeeper situation sorting itself out. And uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it's all about what happens next year for me. But the international break was was good enough. I thought our players, certainly in the England setup, didn't do themselves any harm. They did okay. It certainly seemed to um, boost Carl Walker Peters' confidence. He, you know, I thought he had a tremendous game going forward yesterday. So. Uh, yeah, and yesterday itself was a was was a decent enough result. I'd just like mm. just like to say one sort of off-topic thing is that this morning it was um it was it was my son's last game as an under eighteen, so that is the end of virtually forty-five years for me as a player, manager, coach, and I am delighted. Oh, they- <laughs> <laughs> I, no more, no more. Did That's they go out it. on a high? 
No, they got beat, but they, oh. they, were playing, they were playing the team that won the league, so it wasn't altogether surprising. But uh, lost five three, so it wasn't too bad. But it was just, uh, yeah, I've been I've been counting down that for the last. You, you few won't weeks know what to do with your Sunday mornings. What are you going to do uh, with your extra time? Sleep, <laughs> sleep, drink, probably. I don't know, but I'm I am not going to be standing at the side of a football pitch getting yelled at by opposition players and wondering what the hell I'm doing here. So I'm sure I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. There'd be plenty of parents listening to this longing for that day. So yeah. uh, well, well done. Uh, Dan Sheldon is the Athletics dedicated Saints reporter. Welcome back, Dan. It's been a while. How was your break? You've been all over the place. So Las Vegas to Leeds. <laughs> yeah, Las Vegas to Leeds with a, a trip to Bournemouth in between for the England under 21s. It's been, um, yeah, it's been a really good, uh, really good month. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, a, it, I was thinking before I came on blimey, it's been over a month now since I, since I did one of these. So happy to be back. Good. And also the other face, the other voice uh, that you'll see and hear is Phil Cook, who's one of our TSP patrons. Uh, welcome, Phil. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Tell us a little bit about when you, you fell in love with Saints. Where did the journey start for you? Going back plenty of years. So I uh, grew up in a rugby household. Uh, so my dad and brother weren't football fans at all. So my granddad had been uh, was in the Navy and was stationed at Southampton. So he was a Southampton fan. So it was really from that that I got a kind of a, an inkling of, uh, of of the city and the team. Followed Matt Letizier through the 90s and then went to university in Southampton. I guess from that point on, I was kind of fully fledged in love with the club and the city. I, I don't live in Southampton, so I live up near London, always have done. Uh, went to university there for four years, came back. Uh, I was playing a lot as well, so I never used to be able to go to many games. So I'd be playing Saturday and Wednesday. And then really since I've retired, well, hung up my boots, I guess 10 years or so, 12 years or so ago, uh, I was been a season ticket for seven years of that and then had three boys in the last <laughs> four or five years. So that's kind of curtailed my visits to the uh, to the stadium so much. So Priorities you know, unlike... Change. Yeah, exactly. So unlike Glenn, I'm at the start of that journey. So we've got a three-year-old, and we've just had two. Uh, we've just had twins that are now six months. Uh, twin yeah. boys as well. So and you, you look at look at my face. This will be yours <laughs> in a few. That Sunday beard you've, that beard you've got. That's, that's a decent colour. Forget it. That's something to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us, Phil. We look forward to getting your take on uh, on all things Saints at the moment. Welcome to episode 192 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. So Saints picked up a point on the road with a one-all draw against an improving Leeds side. Uh, Glenn, does that go down as a, a decent point on the road in the end? Yeah, definitely. Bearing in mind, you know, Leeds are on the back of two wins, we're on the back of three defeats so to um to stop the rot was was decent and it overall it was a fair result it wasn't like we nicked it um I didn't feel like we deserved to win the game I didn't feel like they did either the, the second half was really weird there was lots of um lots of effort and lots of energy from both teams but next to nothing when you look at goalkeepers and, and what they had to do um so I don't think either side deserved to win it I thought we were the sort of change in the lineup that we had and the change of formation, we didn't seem to know what we were doing in the first half of midfield in particular, just seemed to be strung out and poor. I felt sorry for Oriol Romeo because he seemed to be in the centre of midfield on his own and Leeds just sort of poured through there in the first half. So uh, I was kind of, you know, Leeds scored, which was a ridiculous combination of Anthony Taylor at the start of it, not giving a free kick 
that he should have given. But having said that, he was con- he was at least he was consistent because he wasn't given anything all mm. all game unless it was a really obvious foul, any sort of collision. He you know that could have vaguely been deemed as accidental. He he was letting it go, but they they basically started the move that you know from from one of those and and the the way the ball ended up in the net it was a I mean I've I've got writ, I've got written down here I've got Anthony Taylor luck bobbles flat by the goalkeeper and a scuffed finish it was sort <laughs> of a horrible luck very lucky goal really mm. but they they scored it we responded reasonably well you know got the goal straight after half time which was everyone's going it's brilliant but we all know it's standard and um but the, the the second half was was strange. As I said, we didn't we didn't really look, look like we deserved to win it. But then nor did they. Mm. So mm. point. I think we were happy with the point. And I think to be honest, looking at the the bottom of the table, Leeds probably were as well. Yeah. Do you agree, Dan? Was it more about stopping that bad run of results and stopping the rot? Yeah, I think so. I mean, admittedly, within the first sort of thirty minutes, I thought Southampton could have been two or two or three down. <laughs> Daniel James raced through a couple of times, and you thought if they'd played the right pass or. He was a bit more clinical. Salasu made a great tackle for one of them. It could have been game over you know, before half time, but Leeds didn't take their chances. And it was really strange because I thought Southampton then came out in the second half and Leeds looked miles off it, whereas Southampton really grew into the game. But yeah, as Glenn said, I think the key thing was going there, not losing, stopping that run of three Premier League defeats in a row ahead of some tricky fixtures. Hmm. And, you know, just leave Ellen Road because it was a. Uh, a really good atmosphere there, um, especially like ahead of kickoff. They had Josh Warrington was there kind of like parading his belt and that seemed to get them all, all the fans hyped up. But there were some good performances, I thought, and Glenn's mentioned what Prowse does. And it's almost kind of, you run out of things to say about what Prowse does from the free kick spot and you run out of like positive, what, what can you, it's just, mm. I think the, the biggest credit we can say is that when he picks up the ball, you just think he's going to score. Yeah. Like, I think that is it. And that, you know, that's not a simple thing to do. You know, everyone eulogizes over Cristiano Ronaldo whenever he stands over a ball, but he never scores his free kicks. No. And when you just know that, and Phil Hay, my colleague, as soon as Prowse picked up that ball, he went, he looked at me and he said, oh, he's, he's not bad at these, is he? And I was like, no, this, this will, <laughs> if it hits the target, it will go in. And he was like, no, I think you're right. And then bang, you know, top corner. So that was a good, good moment for Prowse. As I say, I thought there were some good individual performances. Salasu, I thought was worked, did well. Um, agree with Glenn, Ari, the foul on Brozier. I don't know how. He couldn't give that because it looked live in you know in real time. It looked like it was a free kick because you you know Brozier was going to get ahead of him and, and mm. run away. But then at the same time, again, I'm agreeing with Glenn. I I like the way Anthony Taylor refereed the game. I thought he just let everything go and you know Leeds had a few shouts that they wanted a penalty and he was just not interested whatsoever. Even Ralph after the game said, "Normally I love it when a referee does that, but." No, not this time because of the Brozier thing, but I think mm. we could all agree the ref had quite a good game. And what was your take on it yesterday, Phil? What did you make? Pretty much the same. I thought the referee was excellent, actually. It's a bit of a throwback to the old days where, you know, a few challenges were going in and not everything, you know, the whistle wasn't going for everything. I thought the goal was standard Southampton. You know, one thing doesn't go our way and then two things happen, three things happen. You know, bobbles off Carl Walker-Peters and then Fraser has a flap and then it like someone shins it in. It, like That's standard. It seems to be that's happening more and more. You know, you want someone to get a grip of it and if you can see those things unfolding, you know, almost take someone out, take a yellow card for it. But, you know, it's, it's difficult. I suppose it's all happening at pace. But um, for me, it, it felt like a frantic game. Like there was so much activity, very little control. 
Uh, I'm not sure why we changed formation. I'm not sure it worked. I think it felt like it was to crowbar Diallo in just to get him a game. But I think everyone else suffered because of it. And I'm not sure Elianusi shined in the position he was in either. So not sure what we got from it. But a point we'd have taken before the game, I expect. Let's go back to that starting lineup then, Glenn, and uh, and just start with mm. that because Diallo coming in for Stuart Armstrong who's on the bench. Um, the other changes probably expected Bednarek, Adams, Brozier to come back in. Eight players have been away on international duty, so you could argue there might be a bit leggy there. But perhaps given the run of form um, and the defeats that we had, did he need to tweak something? Was it was it a case of having to do something? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I wonder... Stuart Armstrong always seems to have an issue whenever he goes away on international duty, doesn't he? I mean, I don't know. I don't even know how many minutes he played for Scotland, to be honest, over the over the break. But so I wasn't altogether surprised to see to see him dropped out, uh, drop out. I was more surprised that we didn't put a like for like replacement in. Leeds play usually with with wing backs, but they didn't really do that today. Uh, sorry, did that, do that yesterday? So it it just it just looked disjointed. Yeah, and um, Diallo. He he did some nice things, but in the main, the first half, he was a passenger. And I, I but I thought the biggest victim was was Romeo because you know Prousey wasn't next to him. He was sort of like towards the right wing, and Diallo was towards the left. And Romeo didn't he have an? He had a, you know, he had something wrong with him last week, didn't he? Didn't he miss some days training or something like that? He, he didn't look a hundred percent on it, and I I don't think he was we he was helped by the the fact that we didn't seem to know what our midfield shape was in the first half. Hmm. But Ralph's not. Ralph's nothing if not stubborn at times, and we stuck with it in the second half. And I think he would have changed it at half time, but for the last ten minutes of the first half, we seemed to get a grips a little bit, um, and that was when we had the chance where Adams worked the opening and um, the keeper made a decent save. Hmm. So we came out the second half the same, and we were we were better in the second half. But how much of that was Leeds dropping off because they they started you know real high energy, hundred miles an hour, and they weren't going to be able to play like that for 90 minutes so uh so yeah it was it, it was a strange one that I, I mean you know we got a point at the end which i guess i guess justifies it but it, it looked a bit it, it looked a bit ramshackle at times uh, and i wasn't convinced it was it was the right way to go and i think you know phil made the point that we should possibly have had the uh the normal formation but um but i mean who who would come in i mean normally if armstrong drops out then you're looking at redmond Mm. Uh, he wasn't on the bench, nor was Walcott, nor was Gineppo. Mm. So, you know, could Smallbone have played or um, or Nathan Teller? But, mm. you know, Nathan Teller came on as a striker in the end. So uh, I think it's one of those where we don't really know what, what's been going on during the week, why those three players were, were not on the bench. And, and But at the end of the day, we got a point. It's a good result. So, you know, I think uh, the end justified the means. It was kind of a midfield diamond, wasn't it? A 4-3-3, Dan. I know Ralph was talking about it a bit after the game with sort of Elianusi playing more of a sort of a central role behind the strikers. How did it work out for you? Was it a, a gamble that, that could have paid off? Could he have changed it earlier? Again, I just found myself agreeing with Glenn here. I thought he probably would have changed it at half-time had they not ended that first half on the up. And they were really in control towards the end of that, the opening 45 minutes. So he'd probably seen enough evidence that actually this is this is working. Let's just stick at it. For me, it's. I was joking with a couple of people in the the, the press lounge ahead of the game, just sort of saying it's been, it's one of those matches where Ralph's had a long time to think about it. And often when he thinks about, you know, when he's got a week or two weeks to, well, since the international, he's had a long time to think about this game. Really, since they lost to Man City, it's when he does his like weirdest things. It's um, when you when you go back to that really good run they had in January, and it, you know, it was game, 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 game. You know, he knew his best team. He stuck with the same eleven, stuck with the same system, and it's like when he's got 
too much time on his hands. He's, you can just imagine him on a whiteboard, like, like drawing all these like <laughs> diagrams, thinking his mind must be working into overdrive. And then yeah. it it must work all throughout the week, otherwise he, it got, it would get to a Saturday and he would kind of bin it off if it wasn't working in, on the training ground. So yeah, it was one of them. I kind of half expected him to do something a bit different, simply because that's what he tends to do when he's got too much time to, to think about games. Did we deserve to go behind Phil? I mean, Jack Harrison had that. Um, that goal, a bit scrappy to concede. Um, we talked about Fraser Forster being unlucky. Is it, it was just a soft one, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I, I think we deserve to go behind. I think Dan made the point earlier. We could have been one or two down by then already. Like We started slow, not really sure that anyone kind of felt comfortable in the formation. You know, players coming back from international duty, how long would they have had to train? I'm not sure. Uh, so, yeah, odd decision, but I think ultimately deserved to go behind didn't look uh, particularly well structured didn't weren't playing particularly well no individuals really shining but um yeah I think the last 10 minutes we, we kind of started to pull it together a little bit or lead sat back like a bit of a combination of both I would say a couple of other bits just about uh the the lead up to the free kick if you like it was a great start to the second half um and, and James Ward Prowse doing what he does but we probably need to talk about Carl Walker Peters Glenn who, who came up <laughs> from England and had a yeah. absolute belter yesterday in, in parts yeah it was he was um he was doing a madness wasn't he with his um with his dancing feet I <laughs> mean just just went through about four players who were all sort of like really trying to get near him but he's just his confidence levels have, have gone up massively in in the last few weeks and he was he was confident anyway you know he, he was always he was always someone who trusted his ability when it came to taking on players but that that was a fantastic bit of play and I, I didn't see much of the day last night so I don't know if it got highlighted but um, he certainly seemed to come back from from England with a you know he, he got something out of the experience and He's, you know, he's been told by the national team boss that, you know, by being selected and being given minutes in both the games, he's he's been told by Gareth Southgate that he's a decent player and he needs to carry on doing what he's doing, and he's 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 brought that back with him. Yeah, I thought I thought he had a tremendous game yesterday. I mean, I'm still not 100% sold on the, you know, the right-footed left-back thing, but he seems to be making a very very good fist of it at the moment and uh, yeah the only the only thing I with regards to his England prospects it's going to be incredibly difficult for him to move any of the right backs yeah. mm-hmm. out because of a who they play for and b yeah. at the end of the day they're very very good players it was a bit of a shame in my book that he didn't get a chance to play left back because there's less traffic there yeah in the England setup there's only there's only Luke Shaw who you know you'll be chill well being injured there's only really Luke Shaw who's sort of nailed in the squad and Luke Shaw to me always looks like an injury waiting to happen. He just doesn't look fit. We all know why. So yeah, it was a bit of a shame he didn't get he didn't get a chance at left back uh, for England. But uh, yeah, hope, hopefully he can you know he can sneak into the next squad as well one way or another and um, you know take take it forward and see if he can make himself impossible to leave out. And obviously James Ward Prowse, uh, everyone talking about him yesterday and, and, and man of the match. But um, Carl Walker Peters for you, Dan. Do you think he was the sort of head and shoulders above, really. He, he looked like he was just want, wanting to take it on himself. And if no one else is going to make these runs, then then I'll do it. Yeah, he was super impressive. He um, He's come back from England 10 foot taller. Yeah. And you can you can see that he he knew that he deserved to be in the England camp as well. He'd earned that. He's earned that over the last, not just this season, but last season as well. And the fact that you could make a strong argument that he's the club's best right back and left back speaks volumes of you know how how well he's doing this season you know you look at his contract he's still got over three years left which is just for Southampton absolutely brilliant and 
with my colleague yesterday he he was re really impressed by Kyle. He was like how much did they pay for him and i was like 12 million and he was like it, it's frightening really that they've you've got a player that good that cheap because he is he is class we've off, we've said many times on this podcast he did nothing to get he not he did nothing to get dropped at the beginning of the season last season he was the club's best player in my opinion this season he's probably been the club's best player again I think him and Prowse are the two stand out for me always. The best thing of all, he's just a really good guy. Whenever you speak to him, he's super yeah. polite, super, you know, just really good talker, really nice guy. No airs or graces, just gets on with it, gets stuck in, turns up for training, puts the work in, which I know you'd expect all players to do that, but they don't. And when someone like him comes along, it, it, he really does stand out in a positive way. He did a lot of the media duty for England too. I noticed in the a lot of the interviews and a lot of the social media stuff, and he came across really well in in, in all of those. So, yeah, um, yeah, really yeah. good guy. Phil, one of the things we always ask people about when they're on the the podcast, uh, goalkeepers, that'll be on the way in just a minute. But this conundrum with <laughs> it's like uh, I've Carl... never been away. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Walker Peters and Roman Perot and Tino Livramento. How do you see them all fitting into the side? And, and this is something that we've discussed at length, obviously. Um, what's your you know ideal situation for those those three and the two positions? Yeah. I was really worried at the start of the season when we dropped Walker Peters because you don't know the reaction of a player. You know, he's obviously knuckled down. Um, and when Ralph started playing him at left back, again, I was really worried that, that maybe he won't fancy it and maybe he'll start looking around and generally transfer windows. And, you know, given how well he'd done for us last season, uh, that, that for me, that was a concern. But I, I think Ralph's got it right at the moment. I think Walker Peters probably is the best left back. Uh, Livramento seems to be coming back to form. Like oh, You could question whether or not he it was right playing him kind of a you know, during the, the string of defeats we've just had. Uh, I think Perot was unlucky to miss out, but then I think he might have had an injury as well. So that was probably about the right time because it saved Ralph making a decision. But yeah, for me, I think he's got it right. I think it's Liveramento is the best right back and Walker Peters is the best left back and arguably the best right back, um, you know, against Liveramento. So I think the interesting thing will be what happens at the end of next season if Liveramento goes, as we probably all expect, or even maybe this summer, depending upon who's got who's got money, then, then it's you know is, is that why we've is is that why we're playing Walker Peters left back at the minute because he'll switch to right back next year. Dan, you were watching the under twenty ones. How did he sorry, play? Sorry, Mike. Uh, just one more thing. The best thing about Walker Peters is simply that Spurs sold him to us for twelve. <laughs> <laughs> to us for twelve million, and they've spent forty million on absolute rubbish since then. Yeah, and how position. we love reminding them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan, you were at Bournemouth for that game, weren't you? How did he? You know, did he? How did he do? Because uh, all the the reports were pretty positive. Yeah, he he linked up really well with Harvey Elliott down the right. I think within about five minutes, he'd put in three or four crosses, all really good crosses as well. That just no one happened to be there to, to kind of convert them and then on his like fourth or fifth attempt the strikers at the near post and, and flicked it in he was really good made the mistake in the second half yeah it was his, he, he lost the ball and then slipped trying to kind of re recover it but responded to that by creating another goal for, for the end of 21 so all in all a really good audition for himself um, Lee Carsley the manager spoke really highly of him afterwards and we got the chance to speak to Tino in the press conference after the game. First time I've, I've spoken to him, it was all via Zoom. But again, you just think, I was just sad to think, blimey, he's 19. What was I doing at 19? It wasn't <laughs> sitting down here, like talking as well as he is. So yeah, he, oh, he did very well. Glenn's now having flashbacks to what he was doing at 19. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. It's, a long time, it's not past the watershed yet. So. Yeah, no, no. 
couple more things on the, the Leeds game before we move on. Could we have won it, Glenn? You know, should we have gone on and, and won the game? The opportunities were there. I know Calvin Phillips coming on kind of changed the atmosphere a bit, didn't it? And and uh, changes their their momentum. But we had chances. Yeah, did we second half? I, I don't. I mean, I don't really recall us creating very much at all second half after the after the goal. I don't remember the goalkeeper making a save. He made a couple in the first half, didn't he? One from Adams and one from Elianusi. But other than that, I don't think we really bothered him. It was it was interesting. I thought our I thought our attacking players that they actually looked decent. There were some nice touches from Adams mm-hmm. and, and Brozier looked more involved. And there was there's some lovely stuff from Elianusi. You know, he always does something that looks looks amazing, but you kind of needed just a little bit more end products bottom line i think i think we more or less settled for a point i think with with about 20 to go i think we settled for a point ralph threw nathan teller on because that's the you know let's put a quick player on and try and unsettle them that way i I don't think leeds is back four is that great i think if we'd have been on a run where we'd won maybe three or four games we certainly would have put more into winning this game but you know, in the last 20 minutes. But I think that having lost three games, I think we were more than happy with the point. And if if we'd have won, it would have been a bit of a travesty, I think. We, I think we were probably the team most likely to win it in the second half, but didn't do enough for me and didn't really look, you know, I, I quite often say, I find myself saying on here, it's the, the mid the midfield is, is nice, but it's what you do in the penalty boxes that count. And we didn't do enough in that second half. Yeah, Ed's watching. He says, playing that formation and not changing it later when Stuart Armstrong came on was bizarre. Uh, Anthony Taylor gave us a little all afternoon. Um, quick word on the the penalty, Dan, that could have been for Leeds. I know watching Match of the Day last night, kind of Lineker and Shearer couldn't agree on whether Leeds should have had a penalty with Diallo and his challenge uh, inside the area. Referee not interested. What's your take on that? Not for me, no. Didn't no. think it was a penalty, no. Interesting, Mike Dean was on VAR as well. So, uh, <laughs> thankfully, uh, they didn't go to the screen. Um, and just positives, Phil, from yesterday. Carl Walker-Peters, I guess. James Ward-Prowse scoring again. Yeah, both of those. And then I think just stopping the rot, really. You know, we looked leggy and looked disjointed in the last three games that we've lost. I'm not saying we shone, certainly not first half yesterday, but I think second half was better. And... Yeah, it's like important to get a point, important to go away from home. Leeds is a tough place, didn't get beat. You know, just for me, interestingly, it looks like teams have worked Brozier out a little bit and he's going to have to step up. They're getting very physical with him. And I think he's going to have to learn a different way to play the game now because he got clattered a lot. And I've noticed that more and more over the last few weeks. So I think he's going to have to learn to play a bit differently now. Well, we've talked about his value. Every time he scores, his value goes up. So at the moment, he's just kind of just staying under that, that radar maybe. So uh, so that might be a good thing. Next in the league, we've got Chelsea at home, Arsenal at home, and then um, Brighton away. So let's have a little think about the Chelsea game then. It was uh, a 3-1 defeat back in October. That was the league game. But then we had that much improved performance in the League Cup a few weeks later. Decent one-all draw, actually. Then uh, the game going to, to penalties. How do you see this one going? going at the weekend Glenn uh, what what Chelsea team are going to turn up well I would have said before yesterday <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that it will it will be a mad tough game that I mean obviously with the situation with Abramovich and the club being up for sale and, and all that stuff it didn't seem to have affected them at all up until yesterday and then you see yesterday's result and you think wow what a bizarre result that is because you know, even with Christian Eriksen, Brentford are no great shakes. So to get hammered for one, is it a freak game or or is is there some, you know, is, is are there deeper issues at Chelsea that have begun to affect the team? It's interesting. They've got Real Madrid on Wednesday as well before they play us. So will, the rest that, of you. <laughs> will that have an effect? Well, you know, they've got so, they've got so many players. Um, I mean, I was trying to think of the Chelsea 
Chelsea player that, you know, every team seems to have a player that scores against us, and that's Lukaku for them. He, whatever team he plays for. I mean, I remember him scoring for Everton against us for West Brom, Chelsea first time round. So I know he's kind of in and out of the side and he's not been great, but he is the sort of player that gives us nightmares. Just as he's the, you know, the Michael Antonio type, big, strong centre forward who's quick as well. I'm kind of hoping he doesn't play because I'd be more confident if we're playing against, you know, the, the sort of false nine that they normally go with with Kai Havertz and, and and people like that. So I think maybe we'll be able to put more of a prediction on it after we've seen um, Chelsea play against Real Madrid in midweek and, mm. and see how they get on in that. And that will maybe tell us whether the, the Brentford defeat is a is a one-off or, for, you know, a freak result or whether it's a sign of something deeper going on there. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens with um, with Chelsea and how this, you know, I mean, we've got we've got an interest, obviously, with Armando Brozier, who one assumes we will at least be trying to sign in the summer. Will we be able to? Are Chelsea allowed to sell players? Who knows? I don't really know what's um, what's going on there. I've not really followed it that closely. But uh, yeah, be an interesting one at the weekend. But um, I'm glad we got the result against Leeds because we go into it with a little bit, a little bit less pressure now, 36 points. You know that's that's more than enough, I think. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a free hit, but it, it, it's certainly a, a game that we can at least think in terms of getting something out of. It's not a well, we're going to lose this one. They, you know, you we've been there before and got decent results. And and if we uh, if if we go there and do it properly, then we can do so this weekend. Does that Chelsea result yesterday, Dan, change the mentality a bit? Does it give the players the kind of an edge, if you like? Do you think that there is a chance that we can pull something off like that? I don't think it necessarily changes the mentality. I think it was almost a year to the date since they were thumped 5-2 by West Brom. So it must just be that first weekend of April that they they just seemed to switch off and then they, they went on to win the uh, the Champions League. So I don't think it will... You know, if I was a Southampton player, I wouldn't be looking at that result and kind of licking my lips because you still know Chelsea are a quality team with mm. brilliant players all, all across the pitch who, you know, at the, you know, the blink of a dime can score or you know, just take a game away from you. But Southampton should get confidence from the, the, the games they've played recently against the top sides. They should take confidence from what they did against City, against Tottenham and against Man United. And Ralph was quick to make that point actually last week or this week ahead of the uh, the Leeds game. Uh, he was uh, Someone asked him about, you know, taking points at Leeds must be crucial because you've got games that you're probably not going to win. And he was like, well, on the flip side, everyone said that in January and we ended up taking points against these teams. So, you know, we, we've got proof that we can do it against the top team so don't write don't write us off so that's what i'd be doing if i was southampton it's just taking not confidence from chelsea losing because um, i would put that down to a, a freak result but take confidence from the fact that i'd say in in all even that 3-1 defeat at stanford bridge i mean probably got sent off and then chelsea scored two late goals i think southampton were very good in that game yeah. up until probably got sent off and they were actually on top i thought um, minus, I'm just trying to think, maybe minus Liverpool away where they were just battered. Can't remember. Oh, they were battered at Arsenal. They always seem to turn up in, in the big game. So I'd just take confidence from that if I was one of the players. Yeah, nice. Phil, they've got issues off the field, bit of vulnerability at the weekend, bit of sloppy defending yesterday. Is it a good time to play them, if, if, if ever? I think it's probably as good as any, but I think it would depend how they get on against Real Madrid. You know, mm. if they're if they lose or win 3-0 or 4-0, then we could see a very different Chelsea on the weekend because they might not have a lot in it for the second leg. But for, for me, I think it depends what Ralph wants to do with it because you know, judging by yesterday and judging by the formation and the team he picked, I don't know if he's looking to change things again, maybe you know give minutes to different players. So does that mean, you know, obviously Brodra, I assume, won't be able to play. So does that mean Armstrong comes in or is he going to play Teller? 
Well, you, you'd uh, argue maybe... Shane Long's ahead of both of them in the pecking order. Well, that's the minute. <laughs> there yeah. we go. That 35-year-old Shane been, so... Long running running the Chelsea defence ragged, I think. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't know if it's a good time, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think yesterday's result will have done the confidence of Saints going to the, uh, you know, going to play them any harm at all. Mm. And Glenn, who starts for you next week? Uh, do we? Do we? I assume we're probably not going to stick with with the diamond. Do you think it's going to be back to the four two 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 with the number tens, and we'll see the likes of Walcott and Redmond back on the bench? It wouldn't surprise me if he went to three at the back in this particular game because he that's what he did in the cup game when we did well. So it wouldn't surprise me maybe to see a Jan, uh, Jack Stevens or Jan Valerie come in as the as a third central defender and um, and go at it that go at it you know in that fashion i obviously brozier brozier can't play so who comes in if i had to guess which strike will come in i'd say it'd be nathan teller maybe you know just simply because of the of the pace he offers and none of the chelsea back line are particularly quick and he he's the quickest striker i would have said adam armstrong but he seems to you know i'm surprised he didn't come on yesterday um two strikers came on and he didn't so that was a bit uh that was a bit strange so he seems to be down the list a little bit so uh so yeah and, and maybe one of elinus or armstrong all um all drop out again but uh yeah so i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised to go to see it to see us go three at the back well here's the good news glenn because you actually called the leeds result and you got it spot on did i well, you went for... <laughs> miracles do happen yeah so dan i know you've been away for a month but um you're still in the lead on the predictions league um you probably won't be surprised that uh that no one's got one right apart from glenn last week so he's still four points behind you though with uh right. with a few games left to go so glenn i'll give you the honor of going first for for chelsea how do you reckon that one's going to work God, I don't know. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go one all again. It worked last time. I'll go. I'll go one all again. I think. Uh, yeah, I think we'll put up a decent showing again. It did work last time. Dan, score prediction from you, please, for uh, for Chelsea. Two one, Chelsea. Two one, Chelsea. And Phil playing on behalf of Steve this week. Tell us your score prediction and your thinking behind it. I think we'll go two all. I think there'll be goals. We can't keep them out, and hopefully they can't either. But it looks like based off yesterday. Right. Okay. Good. We'll see how those work out. And the other thing I just wanted to grab your opinion on is the the five subs thing this week. The Premier League clubs voted in favour of uh, introducing five subs. Um, Ralph seemed to be all for it. Glenn, do you think that's a good thing? Can you you see what where he's coming from with that? Because he was saying that it could be a game changer, and I know he's he's used it in uh, I think the, the West Ham game, for example, wasn't it the FA Cup? It, it kind of worked in our favour a bit. So. Yeah. I kind of changed my mind on this every time I think about it. Um, my, <laughs> my my initial gut reaction when it first got mentioned was, well, that's just going to favour the big clubs and that's ridiculous. It's just another opportunity for, you know, for those clubs to, to put on their super expensive players. But when, when you think about it, you know, well, when I thought about it, I thought it actually is going to favour the clubs who don't have a massive drop-off between their starting 11 and their bench. Now, I think we are one of those clubs where we, we can go to the bench and they're not much worse than the starting 11. And you could argue that a team like Manchester United, like when we played them a few weeks ago, I looked at their bench and thought, that's really poor compared to, you know, what they've got starting the game. It, it will favour some clubs. It, it won't favour others. I think it was inevitable because doesn't the whole of the rest of Europe do it? Don't they have five subs yeah. in, in all the leagues? The, the element that worries me about it is the time-wasting element. I, I assume that, that you can only stop the game twice to make substitutions and you've got to do two at a time. You can't, you know, you can imagine some, if, if you could make five individual substitutions, I, I imagine there'll be, you know, there'll be some teams making them every, you know, every five minutes until they run out to try and secure a 
horrible boring one nil win so i don't i don't really know what they've um i think it's done. three occasions during the game not including half time so you can make a change at half time and you can still do three others and obviously nine subs named on the bench um so who knows that was it inevitable dan do you think coming in this just because like the bigger clubs wanted it and uh somebody said this week they just keep voting until it got through well that was it it's often with the premier league if something kind of comes up and gets voted down then it, it tends just to go away but this one didn't ever go away. And I think I, I'm with Claire. I, I think it is a, a good thing. I think against West Ham, we probably saw Ralph, although we all kind of thought, what on earth has he done with that team? You could see the logic that yeah. was in the whole bringing your better players on towards the end of the game. But that was in the cup game. In the Premier League, you're not going to start make that many changes if you're playing West Ham. You're, you're going to start from a strong team. So I would quite like to see rules be brought in that, you know, because you are increasing the subs, maybe two or three have to come. Not you don't have to bring them on, but you know, name two or three from the academy. Mm. You know, you know, just put them on on the bench. I'd quite like to see that. But ultimately, it, it's common in Europe. It always was a bit strange why we didn't have it here. I don't buy into the fact that it's going to seriously damage the clubs with you know who don't have as deep a squad and massively favour the big teams. The big teams have got a huge advantage. Anyway, it, having two extra subs isn't really going to be too make too much of a difference for them, I don't think. And I mean, maybe the only annoying thing is is that it was mainly Pep Guardiola that used to moan about it the most, but and then never make changes. Ever make any changes? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that argument was always frustrating. But yeah. you can see anytime Ralph's ever asked about it, he is so passionate that he thinks it's it has to come in. So you know, I, I would trust his judgment on that from a Southampton Southampton perspective for sure Daniel's listening or watching in Toronto and he says uh, absolutely agrees with you Dan in that two of the subs should be from the youth players so that they can uh, and bleed in the youngsters um, it's, Phil, very diff- it's very difficult to police that though isn't it because oh yeah yeah, yeah. the definition hmm. the de- you know what's the definition of a youth player now it, it, or an academy player because I always found it hysterical that you can have homegrown players that are born in Spain yeah. and yeah. you can have uh, Paul Pogba was the best example. United were calling him a youth product. They paid 90 million quid to sign him back. Hmm. So calling him an academy player, which he technically was because he came through their academy because they signed him when he was 15 or whatever the yeah. first time around. So what's your definition? And until you can tighten up those definitions, you, you yeah, can't. Yeah, I mean, you I mean yeah, and that, a that's a, a wider debate, isn't it? Off the top of my head, could you, I mean, this is just me making this up as I go along could you not you have to pick two players that played in the last under 23s game or something I mean I don't know yeah, I'm yeah. Just making, you know, yeah. I mean there are ways yeah, yeah. I mean Brentford would be buggered on that rule wouldn't they but <laughs> I mean they don't they <laughs> they do don't, yeah, anything don't below that, they'd, <laughs> yeah anything below that they'd be uh screwed but there, there are probably ways around it but I mean I've just made that suggestion up yeah. is there is there a danger that this impacts our new transfer strategy because you know we picked up Livermento small Brozier on loan because they're not getting minutes at the big clubs. Could they I don't, I don't think play two or three? Yeah, because I, I, st- I don't think the big clubs are not inclined to throw young players in. No. And that's that's mm. the problem. And I don't think that will change. You know, if if there's another sort of like two spaces for substitutes, Man United would sign another two players. They wouldn't necessarily, yeah. um, you know, promote some you know, Man United bad example. But, you know, you know what I mean? I I think that yeah. they still they will were... want the, the bright, shiny new thing rather than yeah. spending a load of time and effort putting a putting a youngster yeah. in. I guess but it might work the other way, Phil, with um, less players going out on loan, perhaps, if, if someone's going to stick around and get more minutes from the bench, perhaps, could work in our favour. Yeah, absolutely. But I was thinking more if they're forced to be academy players, then like naturally we're not going to get the, the pick of the bunch that aren't getting minutes. 
No, I see that argument too. Yeah, who knows? We should have to wait and see. Um, Phil, thanks for coming on this week, by the way. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, it's been good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> good to see you. Good to get uh, another face, another voice on. Before we go, um, as always, a big shout out to some of our, our loyal and our much-loved patrons. In our Matt Letizier tier, we've got Colt Baker, we've got Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy, Nick Kingston, and Phil, who we've seen and heard from tonight. In the Francis Benali tier, we've got Nick Reed, Matt Hall, and David Melton. And of course, you can find out more about becoming a TSP patron and all the benefits that come with that over on our website. Thanks to Glenn. Thanks to Dan. Thanks to Phil. Have a good week, chaps. Don't forget to follow this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening on the socials. We are at Total Saints Pod. You'll find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube as well. You can always get in touch with us. Drop us an email via the website. Uh, Thank you for listening this week and we'll see you again soon. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.